0: camping I and see. they tried to get people to come over but and when you I'm call nine one one, does like the operator know who you are at this point because you call them so much well she did say hello jeff yeah imagine at nine <laughs> one one, they answer the point. phone hello jeff <laughs> no she's like yeah i started talking to her she said jeff and i said yep yeah. All right. Anyway, I got to go, Jeff, but uh, I'm sorry you fell over. Glad you called 911 uh, and they helped you. What makes you fall over, by the way? Um, I ran into my chair. Remember when Howard he's was a drinking drunk. the people? What? He's a drunk. No, what do no, you mean? Just... What does he fall over? Yeah, but I'm just, wh- why doesn't he stay in a chair when he's drinking? I'm he drinking. He's drinking. It was yesterday morning. Well, what do I know? I was a fucking drunk. Jesus Christ. That's even worse. You fell down. He's not drunk. What is making you fall? I was going to the bathroom. Remember when I was dead? oh, I'm going to take a pee break? Are I you high? It? Were you smoking weed? Um... Yeah, but... Yeah, all know. right. Ah, Listen, the see? guy gets high. Okay. He's got one arm. He, he has no balance. Yeah, that don't on he... nothing to do with it. Well, what, what, how, then why can't you get up? Uh, I'm telling you, I got a on because I'm, well, I'm walking quickly, and then I get knocked a bounce, And you can't roll over? I can't. Well... I, you know, with my arm, my dead arm, that's what it's I like said. Really difficult to, um, All right, you know, I got to go, balance. Jeff. Jeff. Uh, all right, listen. He oh, could he... exercise Howard and get into better shape. He wasn't always well, calling nine one one for a fall. Yeah, he's high all the time. You know, whether he's drinking or smoking weed, he's he's off balance. I mean, uh, he's right. And and so they call nine one one. By the way. When they send an emergency medical team and they take you away in an ambulance, that costs you money, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, them- and let me tell you something else. You got to figure out a better way because nine one one is for real, you know, super emergencies. I realize this, and, and you know, if you tie up these people's time, it costs the taxpayers money. It it it, it clogs up for people who have real emergencies. And, and and this kind of thing. And uh, here's Joe, the firefighter. He'll explain it to you, Joe. What's wrong with what yeah, Jeff hey. describes? Yeah.
1: Oh my God! I'll tell you. Uh, so we we deal with this all the time, and uh, you know, unfortunately, he's not the only one. But um, let me tell you, he <laughs> we uh, we go on these runs all the time, and uh, and yeah, you know, I mean, we we could be out there picking him up off the floor, and there could be a fire down
0: the block now. And, yeah. In other words. For, uh, when you signed up for the fire department you were ready to risk your life to run into a burning building but not sit all day and and, and pick up Jeff the drunk that sounds about right yeah all right thank you Joe all right Jeff I gotta go you got to stop with all that and, and you got to come up with a plan to if you fall down how to get lift it up okay start smoking on the toilet that way you won't have to go right anywhere. get high while you're on the toilet all right thank you Jeff all right we're gonna talk to John we uh, we're gonna talk to John Stewart in a minute okay I'm gonna take a break. And uh, then I'll get him up on the uh, Zoom, find out what it's like to direct a movie. That's something that's fun. Yeah, figure if that ain't. Fun I wonder to... how long it took. <sighs> Good. i too. And he wrote the movie too, so uh, I don't even know how you learn how to do that. Like, how does he? Yeah, where where does the money come from? All of that. I'll find out. All right, Robin. Let's take a quick break. We'll talk to John right, right after this. Raised, twitching, twitching the door, the what are we listen to? Rage Against the Machine. It sounds like. And, uh, I got I'll give a quick plug before I go to John. The uh, this guy Tom Morello, who is in Rage Against the Machine, he's on Lithium on channel. Um, I, I think it's thirty four. I don't know, but on on Sirius XM, there's a channel called Lithium, it plays mostly nineties music. But Tom Morello, I keep. Raven about the guy he does a a show I, it pops on randomly i don't know if there's any well it schedule. is it does have a regular time slot and then they replay it and oh, i forget what the time slot is yeah but i i listen to music all day on um, you know when i'm painting and stuff and um, when morello comes on it's really exciting comes on with his mom and they talk about like his mom's super radical oh like, really i didn't know yeah that. Yeah, she's like in Cuba with Castro and you know it's like crazy oh stuff and uh, and but he talks about music and he, like yesterday he was talking about hanging with Joan Jett got to hang with her for a day and she's always dressed up in her leathers and she's got the full yeah. makeup on and everything and tells really good stories and he does a a music show like a DJ show but he, he can play whatever he wants which is refreshing too I kind of dig it uh, he sticks to the 90s mostly but he'll even go off that and He's Never just once really in a while. good. Yeah. Some of his influences. Yeah. I'm a big fan. So anyway, they ought to hire him full time. I would, uh, I'm sure they can't get him. They can get him. What's <laughs> he we're, we're all in lockdown. Uh, John Stewart. I'm a fan. Um, uh, John, look at this John. You know, John, whenever I think of you, ah, uh, there he is. Look at him. Let you me know? look at him. I feel What's like you had... Hey, John. Hey. Nice room you're in. What is that? Your study?
1: The attic, the uh, it was the playroom when they were little, and then uh, I got booted up here with the bunny and the and the rat and the guinea pig. So <laughs> I, is, now you know I, my status in the households.
0: Am I looking at your uh, farm? Is that where you are right now?
1: I'm in my house.
0: Yeah, but isn't it? A, uh, it's a farm.
1: The, no, the farm is is not the house. It's uh, the farm is like 20 minutes from the house.
0: Oh, got it. Okay. There's no home yeah. on the farm. Uh.
1: <laughs> there there i think if you listen to the song i think there has to be a home on the farm right no there's, there's a
0: home a, on the range uh
1: <laughs> but yeah no there's like a, a caretaker type deal on there but they you know it's it's large so it's um and you have the animals on property and all that so yeah somebody has to be there all the time
0: just yeah For those cool. in my audience who don't know john stewart of course who uh, used to host the daily show you know john uh, john uh, uh, I don't have to give his credits. Everyone knows John Stewart, uh, but he did this thing with his wife where they decided to buy a place in Jersey and uh, whenever there's like a, an animal in need, they, it's got cows, like cows that escape from slaughterhouses. It's got goats that they find like on train tracks and, you know, and then when the cops pick these goats they up... Sound they sound like, like vandals. They're not vandals, for God's sakes. <laughs> he had degenerate animals. I going to it. It's the she, underground railroad of animals. Uh, it kind uh, of is. is and that, it, and, it, and like really, the cops, water. the cops go, geez, what do we do with the goat that we found on All the right. train tracks?" And John says, "Bring him over." And I love that you're doing it. And, and, it's a, right. and it's a 45 acre animal sanctuary. Am I correct? That's correct.
1: That's correct yeah, And we've got also uh, about 10 acres of, of uh, agricultural land, so we we farm stuff as well. So uh, yeah, it's a it, it's been a, a really Incredible project, but damn, man, it's a lot of work. It's, uh, surprisingly, uh, difficult to take care of these, uh, delinquent animals, these sheep that you find smoking dope behind a school and the cops are called and then you go you know, goat in a gang fight, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, you're trying to raise them right, Howard. That's the main thing.
0: But explain to me something. Um, yes. Sir. First of all, in the movie, you feature a lot of cows. Those are not your cows, right? Those are cows. No, those we are don't acreage.
1: have You know, our land, so cows are difficult because uh, in the town that, that we have the farm in, so you have a certain, not to get technical, but a manure load that you're allowed to have on your acreage. And it's so per acre, you calculate a certain manure load. And uh, so cows, as you might imagine, have unless you have a pretty good composting operation the manure load of a cow is really difficult so goats and sheep are a lot easier on acreage because they don't have the same manure load and i would imagine you've lost i would say 75 to 80 percent of your audience
0: no we (laughs) haven't this is fascinating to me you
1: know what let me say this maybe it's around 92 once you start going into manure loads so the pigs uh that we had already had, who are all, you know, these guys, is must be 600 pounds. So if you have certain manure loads, you you have to balance that out on the acreage that you have, because we also have horses.
0: So in other words, if you wanted to rescue a cow now, if you're over a certain manure load, the town would say to you, John, you cannot keep this cow on your property. You cannot rescue it because your manure load is too high.
1: Yeah, I don't know if they have a a manure officer, <laughs> uh, a, de- a deputy of uh, cow shit, but uh, you sign a covenant with the town of a certain amount of of, of rules that you, you have to abide by. Because these you- are towns, you know, so many of these towns that have these farms are also towns that have done subdivision development. So we're, you know, right behind us is... uh kind of a, a McMansion subdivision. So, you know, like we had to sign a covenant that the pigs wouldn't be held within 20 feet of, because they don't realize, p- pigs are actually very clean animals. They don't, you know, industrial hog farming is incredibly uh, polluting to a town, but pigs are pretty clean. They just root around all day and then come back in and sleep. Uh, we're not allowed to have them within 20 feet
0: of the property line. Do you, you have know, a personal attachment, like- John? Do yeah. you get a personal? Uh, I mean, I've pigs, for example. They say are as smart as three year olds. That they they have affection. They have uh, uh, they 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 have a, a high ability to understand commands and things, much like a, sure. a dog might. Do yeah. you de- do you develop a personal relationship with these pigs? In other words, do you feel emotional attachment to them?
1: Sure. Yeah. You've pets. You, you have, you have, uh, they're, they're, uh, individuals. You know what I mean? I mean, I not to go weirdo, like they're not, you know, we don't sit and have long conversations, but they're, they're, uh, they're playful. They're happy. They're everything that you love about animals and, uh, sheep, goats, the same, you know, uh, the sheep barn is the one man that's, sheep are crazy. Like you'll go and you'll just sit down and they'll just all just kind of walk over to you. And then they start just trying to get you to pet them. You know, it's, (laughs) it's kind of astonishing when you spend time, uh, with animals, kind of, you start to see their individuality. So certain, you know, um, like we had this goat Levi, who's actually a, a fainting goat, oddly enough, but he's the Sort of how he got out of a slaughterhouse, no one knows because when he gets spooked, his back legs go rigor, So he kind of can't move, but, uh, so he's this little old, uh, goat and he's, in, he's like the dominant guy in the whole herd. So if the sheep come over, so you've got, you know, and we have more sheep than anything else. So, uh, if they come over and, and they're getting a lot of attention. Levi will walk in and be like, all right, party, you know, it's like last call at a bar. I mean he's just walking in and be like, All right, that's it. You know? You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And then he just starts pounding everybody away. Like it's you you watch the dynamics, their interpersonal dynamics, uh your interaction with them. It's you know, it, it's great.
0: Do you have to feed them or do they the like no, 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 no. Just- you
1: don't you don't feed them at all. You just leave them. No, 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 no. I'm not to trying
0: to be funny. I'm saying, do you <laughs> feed them or like the cows, they just kind of like eat the grass on these 45 acres and, uh, or do you have to give them special feed? So, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Grazing is not enough to, to really feed, you know, we don't have that kind of property, but even like cows that graze are fed, they have to be, um, you know, and especially like the pigs, like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta feed them twice a day. And then there's, uh, salt licks and mineral licks and all kinds of other stuff that, you know, it's here, here's the other thing too, like because of animal agriculture, these animals are not particularly healthy in terms of, you know, genetics and they're not generally well cared for. So they are fragile and you do find that they end up with, uh, you know, pneumonia or parasitic diseases or things like that. So they, they also, it's, you know what it is? it's like running a nursing home you know, to right. a large extent. And they're the, you know, they're the residents of the nursing home and they're all a little bit fragile and a little bit, you know, they've all had their stories. And, uh, and you just try and deal with them on that individual basis. But we also like, please understand, like, we're so out of our depth when it comes to camping. like we have people that know what they're doing to take care of them, like it's for me, I get the pleasure part of it. And I'll occasionally be like, Oh, do you need, do you want me to jump on that tractor and and, and cut that field? Like, are you guys crazy today? But it's not like, I'm not farmer blue jeans out there every morning, like clearing the stuff out. We have really good people. who are smart people who understand, uh, you know, just how sophisticated the care has to be. For each of those animals, are and you so
0: deluged I, with requests by people who yes. like contact you on social media and say, "John, I found a, this, or I know of a cow, I know of a goat, I know of a sheep, I know," and, yes. and, and can you and your wife take this uh, the animal in? No. Uh, no, you I must can't. be you must be overwhelmed, though you must be be overwhelmed yes. with requests. Yeah, what is, do you do? It's heartbreaking, right? Heartbreaking because you
1: realize you know it is. It's funny. Animal rescue is, is clearly not, uh, the most efficient way of, of kind of changing the way that we do animal agriculture. Um, because it is, it really is like spitting in the ocean. Uh, and it, it is an overwhelming issue, like you see with, with cats and dogs as well. I mean, it's an right. overwhelming issue. Um, and understandably, People have their hands full with a lot of overwhelming issues these days. So, you you know, it's not necessarily a a top of mind for everybody. But for us, it's something that we feel passionate about. We we look at as kind of a long-term deal. And also, you know, food is really personal to people. And how they eat and what they eat is very particular. And I would never endeavor to kind of say to people, you must eat like I eat, you know, if you want to be moral, you know, it it really is not about that. It's just about how, how it makes us feel better. If if that makes
0: sense. Yeah. But uh, you know, the way we treat animals, uh, this is all man-made. This is all all these problems you're talking about. It's Mm -hmm. all man-made. We probably do have to take a hard look at what we're doing with animals, even in the way it affects the environment. Sure. And, and, and well, even look, look at the pandemic.
1: You know, these pandemics stem from, you know, it's, it's very easy for us to blame, you know, live markets in, in China. And that's the, the spread of these things. But, you know, a lot of the antibiotic resistance and all that comes from the way that we deal with animal agriculture. It's an enormous uh problem that we have to face with it. And I think the solutions are there, but it's a question of, of will we get to that point?
0: In other words, we pump animals so full of antibiotics and then we eat them that we now can't really resist these viruses and things because our I mean, immune I mean, systems are
1: and also anytime you have you know the kinds of conditions that many of the animals live in and and the density of population of those animals and the way that they're uh, uh, treated and dealt with it's a breeding ground for these types of diseases that can often make leaps or make changes you know that's those are breeding grounds for for pandemics,
0: yeah. Let me understand one other aspect of this farm. I don't mean to get into a whole farming discussion, but I am fascinated by your life now. <laughs> I
1: wish I knew more about. I wish I was a better expert. You know, there are people that can discuss this with with much greater uh, insight and analysis than I can. You are you are literally talking to probably one of the worst advocates that you could talk to about it.
0: No, I get it because I'm involved with all this animal rescue, but I couldn't yeah. answer a lot of your questions about animal rescue. I just know what we do, and so right. I understand what you're saying. But the, you know, it, quite frankly, my whole impression of where you were at now at life was kind of like retire. I mean, I was caught off guard that you had a movie coming out and that you had just directed a movie. I thought that so like, well,
1: I had no idea. I was I was shocked. I thought I was done too. Yeah, uh, no, I. I- you know, I, I've always been. I'm, I'm like you, man. I, I like to work, but I was tired of that one grind. But I, I like to work. So during that time, I was out doing stand up or trying to get this animated studio. It didn't work out, you know. Doing different things. I just wanted to
0: do different things. I didn't what want to. What kind do, of what kind of animated studio were you working on? What were you trying oh, to I develop? To
1: get, so I had, I had this idea that. I wanted to do real-time animation. So to do like a daily show, like a 24-hour news network parody, and I would take, you know, uh the kind of topical humor that we were doing on the daily show, but it would be through real-time animation. We we found this uh animation uh render engine called Octane that did it in real time. Cause normally to render animation, you know, took like for one minute of animation, took 24 hours in a giant render farm with all kinds of uh data processing. So we were going to do it through motion capture and the motion capture was going to render immediately. You know, and so I built this whole thing and man, it was going to be uh, fantastic. And uh, about a year and a half into it, uh, we realized not only was the technology for what we were trying to do, not quite there yet, but the technology for HBO, which was going to air it wasn't there yet either. So in other words, even if we produced an animated uh, five minute bit, the day of the, uh, you know, the topical piece of humor, they couldn't run it because Comcast and every other sort of larger institution that brings that channel to you couldn't turn it around that quickly.
0: You know, so, yeah, it's funny you say this because I, I have been consumed with animation for years. Years ago, oh, I, wrote the, I wrote the. I wrote a a bunch of scripts called Howard Stern, the high school years. I did it many, many years ago. You know, it's going back 25, 30 years, maybe. And I thought they were pretty interesting. And I sold them. Uh, We were going to animate. And I was Mm -hmm. consumed with the fact that uh, they wanted to do this kind of cheapo animation, which I Mm -hmm. don't think would have made it funny. It wouldn't have worked. And uh, because everyone was like, oh, beef, some butthead works. I go, no, we need we need a more sophisticated look and then I looked into it It was like a million dollars for a half hour episode they've yeah. They've never really conquered how you can do animation really cheaply right it's just it's just impossible well because it's
1: so here's here's where I ultimately came to I tried to take a form of humor that's topical and combine it with an art form that's meticulous you know right. animation is meticulous the guys that train to be animators. I mean, they'll spend four days on making uh, an old man's eyes have just enough pathos, you know, that you can uh, uh, make people cry while watching up. Like, it's incredible what they're able to do in consideration. And so they would come into work and I'd be like, hey, man, can you have that by two? <laughs> and they would just look at you like, I'm not sure that you know what it is we do. So what we try to do is get it so that, all these macros, you could capture the movements, right? From, so we had like improv actors acted out. You'd capture the, the, the movements of it. But even then, all it would do is capture it kind of procedurally, not comically. Like you wouldn't get the comic action that you kind of have an expectation of for animation. The second problem of it was, you know, if you watch animation, generally people aren't looking directly down the pipe of the camera at you. Generally it's it's narrative and they're not really looking directly at you. But when you're doing a parody news network, they are. So there was always this weird, creepy, they call it uncanny valley, where the the anchor is looking directly at the camera, but not there's nobody home.
0: And that doesn't work for comedy, right? I mean if you
1: man, it just so what I kept saying to people was, Look, this shit's not that funny, but at least it's taking us a long time to make. You know, it's It was like it was the two things that just were were and so at at a certain point I was just like, All right. It's gonna happen. Some somebody's gonna figure it out. Uh somebody smarter than me and and is gonna figure out how to do it right and do it in a way that really uh makes sense. But boy, we had a lot of fun trying to figure it out. But man, it was it was a bear.
0: Is it defeating to spend like a year and a half trying to get this whole thing together and then it fails? Do you sit there and go, why did I waste my time for a year and a half on this? Or is just the process is fun?
1: Yeah, I mean, the process, but look, you never, no one, no one ever goes into it to, you know, to walk away and go, all right, everybody, we got to clean out our desks in three hours. But um, you, you know what it is. Like. So you've been doing sort of the same thing and you branch out and you've done books and films and things like that. I've done stand-up, I've tried to do some books, did some film. You know, it's just about having a career. It's just about that idea of like, let's keep trying to just make shit in the hopes that people keep wanting to watch
0: it. Yeah. It's and, weird uh, with you. I said to my <laughs> wife the other day, I said, I'm going to have John on the show. Yeah. And I said, the one thing I've known John a lot of years, I don't know him really super well, but I, I, I know John's career. And every time I think you've chosen a lane, you you go outside the lane. It's like, I thought you were a really great stand-up. And if you just stayed in stand-up, you would have had even a more brilliant career. Uh, but then I thought, oh, he's burned out on stand-up. He wants to be a TV host. And then you went into TV hosting, and then you found The Daily Show. And then I went, oh, he found his lane. This is the lane he's in. This is great for him. He can go in and be political, but be funny and be, you know, be, and and make a point and change the world. And then all of a sudden, you walk away from that, and then you're mm-hmm. doing the farming thing, which I really admired. And then, well, yeah, I mean, I got a million questions about that thing, but, but. Uh, I mean, and, and now you're, you know, you're writing and directing movies. You always surprise me with, um, just sort of the way you conduct your career. And, and, and I got the impression that you hated doing stand up, but then just a couple of years oh. ago, you were, you were opening, opening up for Chappelle. So, I mean, you still, you still yeah. do up, right somewhere.
1: Sure. Oh yeah. No, I, I love up. I mean, that's, that's how I started. Um, I think I just, I bore easily and, mm. uh, so I like doing a variety of different things, so that I never get too good at anything. You know, but I don't want to. I want to big time people. So I try. If I start getting really good at something, I'm like, you know what? It's time to walk away from this. I don't want to master this. I don't want to get but, too good.
0: But John, it, it, in order to right. do stand up, doesn't it all? At least when Jerry Seinfeld explains it to me, and he's the authority on this. Yeah. And even if you talk to a guy like Chappelle or somebody, right? Doesn't it require almost a slavish devotion? To writing every day, to crafting the perfect line, to getting the joke to the to, to the to the point that it, it it's so honed that the audience laughs and then you're on to the next one, next one, next one. It seems to me you can't be in too many places if you're a, a really working stand-up comic.
1: Well, look, if you, I mean, if you want to get to the level that Seinfeld and Chappelle are. Um, I mean, Seinfeld is, you're, you're talking about the two people that are, are at the top of their crafts in, in different manners. I mean, Seinfeld is the best stand up craftsman, like I've ever witnessed. Like I can still, I can watch sets that he did, you know, in 1989 and, and still laugh my ass off at it. And, and today everything that he does, like you say, is just so, he's, I just think he's the best. Craftsman working and Chappelle is just a different, he exists on kind of just a different plane. Like the thing I always say about Dave is, you know, we're all doing standup, but he just embodies it. Like he's just a different, or like a guy like Bill Burr, who's just prolific and just funny as shit, top of the game. But even those guys, like, I think to feed good standup, you have to step outside of actually that, What you're talking about, that kind of factory mentality, because you're always balancing that idea of how to kind of create material, just the mechanics of it with inspiration. And if you lose inspiration, uh, then it just becomes kind of workmanlike. You know, you'll just you'll just see it be. Oh, yeah, you're you're plugging it in procedurally, but you're not really doing something artistic or interesting or inspiring. Um, Yeah. But I guess I actually think that it's, it's almost the opposite that you can't treat it like that because I think that it, it becomes just really pro forma, like a boilerplate,
0: you know? I don't know, but it seems to me, and I'm just looking at it from the outside because I don't do stand-up, but Chappelle, he left that TV show and he devoted himself to stand-up. Even like Chris Rock, when he left Saturday Night Live, I think he said to himself, I got to really perfect my stand-up. And then he came out with that special that was absolutely mind-blowing. Right. Um, and then you look at a guy like Jay Leno, who I believe I used to go see Jay Leno live at Garvin's in Washington, D.C. in the 80s. Sure. He was the that. most out. He was the most outrageous. He was funny. He was, you know, but then when he became a TV host, he had to like kind of get homogenized and make sure everybody liked him and this and that. But right. it, when these guys singularly focus on stand up, right, it, it somehow propels them into a whole new level.
1: And- yeah, but I mean, even like Chris, so Chris has, it seems like a really good methodology for that. So he'll go off and he'll write a movie or he'll direct a movie or he'll do these other things. But when he's ready for a stand-up special, when he says, look, I'm going to, I'm going to nail a great 80 minutes of stand-up. He'll plan out a tour and he'll do that for nine months and really hone that material and get it to the place where he really wants it. Lay it out there and then it's done. And then he'll move on and do some other things, though, I think. Still pop around, do some... But the singular focus has to have a kind of time horizon on it. Because if it's just relentless, I think you end up losing your uh, your mojo. I think it's... You almost have to focus it on a particular... Like, Dave is really good at that. Like, Although Dave creates material in a way that I... Honestly, like, astonishing the way that he creates. Like, just in moving through the world, you know, we'll be together for a couple of weeks on the tour, going through, you know, Europe and doing some shows. And then by the time we get back, he's got 20 minutes on this thing that happened in a restaurant with us. And I just think, how? when did you do that? And he's like, I didn't. It's just thought it was funny. You know, He'll he's honestly the, one of the most astonishing stand-up performers I've ever been around.
0: What, what, what is the uh, philosophy when you come up with a stand-up act? And in, in other words, it seems to me Jerry goes in a room and he writes down stuff on a pad and then he tries it out on an audience to see how it works. Chappelle, it seems like will go in a room with a, with a crowd and make up stuff almost on the spot. Like he kind of has an idea right. and then he just starts talking Will Rogers right. kind of style. Um, right. it, it, not that one is better than the other. But, but what, is that what you do? Do you, like, it seems frightening not to have it all kind of figured out ahead of time to go up in front of the audience and try to come up with a joke in front of the audience seems right. completely
1: yeah, frightening. I mean, that's, there's no other way to do it. You know, that's why, um, you know, without the audience, you really, you know, don't have, don't have anything. So, but people work differently. Like I, I would say it's the difference between, you know, there's certain people that craft their songs very meticulously. And then there's jazz artists, Dave's a jazz artist. He's, right. You know. Uh, you always hesitate to put people in categories like, you know, Miles Davis because they're legendary, but he, he operates like that.
0: So uh, what are you doing right now? Do you have a specific stand up act? In other words, I, I, I feel like I'm out of touch with you, that you are. Sure. Um, you I've, know, I've got bits.
1: What I do is I just take my bits that I did, you know, uh, back in the Bush years and I just switch out Saddam Hussein's name with uh, Assad's name and same bit. Can you just keep going?
0: No, but no, I mean, you're seriously.
1: Always, you're always thinking of different things. And then you go out like, I've done it long enough now that I have a pretty decent sense of uh when a bit's got some particular possible legs to it, when there's a little bit of meat on that bone and when there's not. And so I can, I've done it long enough that I can bullshit through it. Like I can stand up on stage, stitch together some old things that I've done with a bunch of new musings and just sort of play it out and If I do that for a week, I end up with a much tighter, uh, uh, little group not ready yet, but then, but you gotta, you're right in the fact of like, you gotta do it a bunch to kind of get to feel the rhythm of it to get it down.
0: So does it ever feel bad going out and doing stand up? Because you say, you know, if I was doing this every night, I'd, I'd be such a killer. I'd be so good. I'd have this thing so crafted. Do you ever feel like, oh, shit, I, I you know, and especially in front of other comedians that you go out there and you right. do your thing and you say, damn, I mean, I should really get out on the road, do a bunch of dates and really get this thing perfected. Or can you live with, hey, I'm good at it. Living with mediocrity. Now you're describing my career. Now you go. No, but seriously, you know what I mean? (laughs) It would drive me crazy because I would be like, hey, I could be, you know, just on top of my game.
1: Right. But that's why you're on top of your game. That's why. I mean, that's you just described the fire that causes you to do what what you do for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I always am very, very self-critical about everything that I do, but the part that I'm probably missing is, oh man, if I did this every day, I'd be phenomenal. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean me, amazing me it's amazing. It's always could, like, yeah. It's amazing you can do it and, 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 and keep your hand in that. And then you go off and write a movie. And when I saw they said, oh, John's coming on the show. He just wrote a movie. It kind of, I didn't even know you were doing this. You, yeah. you, what do you, what do you do? Like, do you get up? What I'm and, getting
1: from this is you wish I was more in touch with you on a personal level. I do. I, 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 I said to my wife, I
0: thought he's uh, I thought he's on a farm with sticking his hand up a cow's ass and, you know, and, and, and doing things like that. I don't know. I didn't know any of this was going on. So in other words, you don't sit and go, Hey, the daily show was great. I really miss it. I wish, you know, with what's going on with COVID 19 and all the racial strife and everything that's going on in the oh. world, you don't sit there and pine away for your old show. You're over that, but you yeah. need to. You needed to express something with this film. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what did you do? You sat down and said, I've got this idea. I, yeah. I want to talk about the political situation right now. I want right. to do it this way. I... What do you do? You just sit down by yourself and you start writing a movie? Yeah.
1: I mean, you, you, when you guys did private parts, you, you saw how it goes. It's like it's like anything else. You know how it goes. you you yep. got to sit down and. Regurgitate a first draft and then, you know, file it down. But I guess my point is it's just the art and the, and the work of creating. Like what I get joy from is, is making things and, you know, whatever form that that takes, generally I'm better at making things that are, that are humorous than, than not. And sometimes the things I make, uh, disappoint. Sometimes they don't. Uh, but that's, it's like, I, I can remember even back in the early days of The Daily Show, somebody said to me, are you nervous about taking over for uh, The Daily Show and, and Kilburn, are, are you are you worried about that? And I was like, well, my option is to not do anything then. Like you either, you know, you pays your money, you takes your chances. Like this is about, there's a reason why I'm not still bartending in a punk club in Trenton, New Jersey. There's something inside you that says, you know, that's arrogant enough that says, I have something to contribute and say. And you go and you, and you do it. And that's a conversation. That's a long journey. And if you're lucky enough, and a lot of it is luck, you get to continue to do that for a career. And over time, hopefully let your growth as a person infuse into the art that you're making. And, and to make that art is probably too highbrow a word for it. But the things that you make are still of interest to people.
0: I think where the fear comes into all of this, yeah. and, and I know this for myself, okay. as much as you try to have a thick skin criticism when you're on The Daily Show and you'd be criticized or you're doing your stand-up right. or now you put out a movie and I, I, eventually it'll be reviewed – you you um. Oh, it's already that, been reviewed. It's, has it? Oh, 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 it's getting some criticism. Is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your oh, movies so. getting your movie's been reviewed and are, are they are they not positive reviews? Some are. There's been a, there's been some that are very positive. There's
1: been some that are like just angry. Um, and you you know I'm not as used to. It. So on the Daily Show, it's a little different because people aren't really reviewing it on a nightly basis. They're criticizing or reacting to the things you say. And you're part of that churn, that sort of dialogue. And that carries with it a little bit of weight, that kind of sense of whatever you say. You know, that's the conversation that we have now. It's sort of like, uh, what was the movie with Mel Gibson where he knew what, what women want? Or what would you yeah. think? Yeah. He gets ESP and he can hear what women want. I mean, that's the internet. We all have developed ESP. And so now we know what everybody thinks about everything all the time.
0: Don't and you find it paralyzing? Don't you find it as a creative person, a guy trying to put out a movie or do a stand up or do a this or that or animated special? <laughs> uh, don't you find it paralyzing that everybody just fucking yaps all day about whether it's good or bad or you're an asshole? I mean, don't you find that draining?
1: Uh, I mean, certainly, I mean, certainly has some weight and certainly draining. But here's the thing like, we talk shit for a living. That's right. And I'm pretty sure now that other people are allowed to talk shit it up. Like it's, it's kind of the game. It's, it's democratized, uh, opinions and outrage. And, but you can't, you can't wear it too hard. You gotta, like, so for instance, what I, did, you know, when, when the movie first came out and they'll say like the, the movie company will say like Review, reviews are dropping. There's an embargo. So people watch it and they'll say reviews are dropping at such and such a time. And so you're really waiting for that. Like, it's the opening bell. And like any movie process, you know, there's screenings, uh, there's advanced copies that are given to people. So you think you have a pretty good sense of how people are going to receive it. And we were feeling really good. And, you know, from the screenings that we had done out, and they take it to different places and show it to audiences that don't know what it is. And then you get comment cards and all that kind of shit. It's like, you know. Uh so when it drops, you're watching that Rotten Tomatoes score, like it's the fucking Dow Jones Industrial, and, you know, you just sunk everything uh into, in, in, into the death. So you're riding that hard, and when it comes up low or lower than you thought, or in the, they, they have two uh, icons, the tomato, and I don't know what the other one is, but it's like a, Leaf or something a close. When when you hit that leaf, man, you're like fuck. You feel nauseous, like your mm-hmm. stomach drops, and you, and you still follow it through. But you also have to. You pay your money. You take your chances. Like it doesn't mean that's right. It's a subjective thing. There's there's criticism within that that you can take in and go, Nah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, they okay. They, they nailed that one or, okay, I feel like that review says a little bit more about that person's views than it does mine. Um, but you have to try and make the best of it. So the thing that worried me the most, quite honestly, I know this is, sounds weird is my kids, you know, they're teenagers and you want them to be proud of you. You want them to feel like, you know, when you make something and you, and you put it out there that, that's all they know. I mean, they were little when I was on The Daily Show. So that Daddy hasn't been, you know, Daddy hasn't been a star for a while. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, when you, you work on it and it's exciting for them because it's a movie and there's stars in it that they've heard of. And so last night I had to come down, you know, we're, we're all sitting to dinner and I go, so I just wanted to let you know, they call me Waddle. Uh, Waddle's movie has, has been reviewed. And uh, there have been some punches thrown. And I just want you to know, just in case, you know, any your pals might bring it up to feed you some shit and just know that, really sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, so what they did is they took great pleasure and they went online and they started quoting me the, the most, you know, like, uh, uh, so they kind of went back and forth with the, you know, Stewart's movie is anything but irresistible. You know, the, the <laughs> sort of, the, no.
0: and they don't name your movie kinda, irresistible. They're going to don't figure it's out how to, ruin to it. resist.
1: And it was funny. It kind of broke my mood a little bit and broke the tension a little bit. And we got to have fun with it. And it got to remind me that, like, yeah, this is what I do for a living. But it's not necessarily who I am and I have to keep it in perspective. And the, and the truth is, I think this moment that we're in also plays a factor in people's upset, you know, cause it is like, look, it's a movie about the system, but it's not about the moment we're in right now. And, and I think it's, it's funny. And I I think it's biting about certain aspects of the system, but to some extent, Godzilla is destroying the city, and I've made a, a charming movie about the perils of urban planning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, if the criticism it's quite, is, it's not quite addressing what seems to be the more salient issue. But it's it's a movie that that takes maybe a a, a Capra esque look at the event horizon, as opposed to the fact of like. We're well you're a, you're fire. a
0: vic- you're a victim of your own success because uh you're the guy who is thought of as topical you you rail against the 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 horrors of the day and right. now when you put out a movie all of a sudden the expectation is oh John's got it all figured out he's going to give oh, us right. the answer you know so they're looking hey. at it at they're looking at it like it's the daily show no it's a movie that was in your head probably 2 years ago at least and yeah. uh, and, and it's a comment oh, on oh, the oh, system yeah. More than that. And
1: And also, I I think that there's, you know, I I have a strange thing in that sometimes, you know, people might look at me and believe that I think I'm profound. And so if the art doesn't raise to the level of what they think I think I am, that's also a a good shot to take. But listen, to be fair to them, too, like this is not I, I don't mean to present it in that way. Like I'm not a victim of anything. I am truly like, I don't, I don't have a bone in my body that goes, you know, woe is me. Like I'm baffled every day.
0: By, well, But I got to tell you something. I, yeah. I, I was listening to you now that with a thought sure. that's running through my head and I don't want to lose it because father's day, just the father's day just went by. I feel like the lesson you taught your kids is even more profound than anything you've said. You walk downstairs and you said to your kids, basically, you know, I want to show you something. I did Mm -hmm. this thing. I do this thing for a living. But I don't take it too seriously. Like you weren't sitting there making them miserable. You weren't carrying on like a lunatic about your reviews. And you Uh went downstairs and you taught them, hey, we talk about this stuff and we put it into perspective. I don't think there's too many fathers who would do that. So I applaud you for that. That's like really good fucking parenting right there. Parenting you know 101. That's exa-
1: Howard, that's exactly right. And that was
0: exactly my plan. <laughs> no, I, I but... you know it wasn't. You know what? Don't get embarrassed I by that. I think I
1: have a lesson to impart
0: <laughs> No. <laughs> I I, can't, uh, no, no. Let me make a movie to impart this lesson. I I can't imagine (laughs) my father. (laughs) I I am filled with envy for your kids because I can't imagine (laughs) my father coming home from work. And he would come home so angry and so full of misery. And... uh, and instead of saying to me, you know what, son, you got to go out in the world and you got to make a and you know, and you're going to come home some days and miserable and people are going to knock you. But let me now. It was just like it, it, his anger would come out at me. And right. what you, you, you didn't put that on your kids, you know, you basically just said, look, well, this is what's power going To on. be
1: fair, if I was raising you, I think it would have been a very different situation. I think I would <laughs>
0: you have, would have hated me, too. I would have come home and just yelled at you. <laughs> you know what? I swear to God, that's probably true. It's unbelievable. Never
1: stop it. You know, but I think it's because it's so, you know, one of the biggest, if I look at myself and I go like, so if people say like, what, what would you wish you did better? Like I am very self-critical, but I can also be very defensive at, at things. And so if, if I think about what I've tried to, be better at it's so I was raised in, I think, a critical environment. I think I, you know, and, and that creates in you a little bit of a, a reflex to if you feel attacked to attack. In some ways, it's stand up, it's gladiatorial. Right. You're up on and, and I'm going to get on top of this audience. And if somebody comes at me, and that's why I was really good at dealing with hecklers. Because there was, you know, at a certain point, you know, your brave heart, you're like, no mercy, I will show no mercy, I will give no quarter. Right. And I, I like, because when you verbally dismantle somebody in like a comedy club, especially if they're larger than you, like they have no other option but to try and fight you. Like at a certain point, it's so humiliating and emasculating. And it's sort of, my life has been kind of a journey of trying to go from obnoxious to witty. If that's possible, you know, trying to tame and learn about the things that I have inside myself that I think are either holding me back or negative or not right to other people and, 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 and working on that. And your biggest fear is that you will saddle your children with your burden, with your, with your demons, that you'll, right. that you'll not be able to to be graceful enough not to uh, have them endure that your, your personal things. And, and, and one of the bigger ones for me was probably that um, I don't like to be wrong. It, you know, it, it embarrasses me and I try and, so I've tried to, I've tried not to do that. And it's funny when you try not to do it, it, Every now and again, there's just an epiphany where you're like, right, that's not adding anything. And it no longer becomes something that you feel like you have to be cognitive of. It just becomes a part of you. And and now, so now, like when I read the reviews, it's funny. I can almost disassociate. Like, it, it might be that I feel so guilty about how well my life has gone, Right. That when I can, when I read those things, I almost just feel bad. Like, uh, you know what? Everybody works so fucking hard on this thing. We all worked for so long and I dropped it in the wrong moment. And I still, by the way, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm proud of this thing. I actually think it's really funny. And I do think when people watch it, they'll like it. Not necessarily, um, you know, everybody, but but I'm really, you know, from the moment having that reaction to it, doesn't change my feeling of the worth of it or how good it might be or how I think some people might receive it.
0: See, that's tremendously evolved. Uh, You know, I can get affected by other people's reactions. Like I'll literally like if I get a a, a bad comment about something, a bad review, I'll literally walk downstairs and go, you know, Oh my God, my wife doesn't even like me anymore. You know, they like, 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 right. there's such a horrible internal feeling that I put that on everyone else. I project that onto everyone else. I sit there and go, right. Oh, how could she be? How could she be in love with me? Even, uh, you know, if, if these people are saying negative things about me. She must think that too. Like, uh, right. you're pretty strong willed. And even it goes when you're the writer director, I would imagine right. you've, you've gotten Steve Carell to be in the movie, who's a great performer. He does a great performance right. in this. You've got uh, a bunch of actors. you got a guy in there who looks like Fred Norris. Uh, I I like that guy. Uh, What's that guy's name? Every time I see that guy in a movie, I go, what's that guy's name? What? Chris what? Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper. I I go, he looks like Fred. Uh, But anyway...